this podcast, Nirian Spatola from Solix talks about the future of HR in organizations through transformative times. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us uh, Marianne Spatola. Uh, she is a senior vice president and chief human resource officer responsible for overseeing all human resource functions uh, at Solix. Uh, prior to joining Solix, she has served um, as vice president organizational effectiveness and leadership at Selective Insurance. In addition, Marianne has held a number of senior human resor- uh, resource positions throughout her career at Chubb Insurance, the Chubb Institute, the Crum and Foster. She earned her bachelor's in social science from Thomas Edison uh, State College and earned her master's of science uh, in human resource with a concentration in organizational effectiveness from New York University, where she is also an adjunct faculty member. Marianne loves to read, spending time at the bench uh, beach and uh, spending time together with family and friends. She is involved with HR professional communities, associations, and loves to connect with other professionals. Uh, Marianne is an adjunct uh, professor at NYU and Rutgers teaching human capital and leadership courses. With that, Marianne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Visha. Well, nice to be here. Beautiful. So I think one thing that um, I find really fascinating uh, uh, when I was looking at your profile was, uh, number one, leading an HR uh, function for a company that is relying on great leaders and great workforce and number two spending your time in academia in sort of in in nurturing other leaders and creating that so i think that was a pretty interesting outlook uh, of of what you are contributing so i do appreciate you in that in 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 that template so why don't we talk about your journey uh, what brought you to hr and what brought you to to this role yeah i um I'm not your traditional HR uh, leader. So I actually started my career on the business side. And as you mentioned, I worked for Chubb. I was a property casualty insurance company. So I started in uh, underwriting. I worked there for a number of years. I worked in technical education and educational roles. I was a functional head. I led product development on the business side. And I am a recovering computer programmer. (laughs) Um, And I did all of those things before I fell into and fell in love with HR. Uh, And I got there because I joined an organization that was on a very aggressive growth plan. Uh, We had double-digit growth for a decade, and we had no HR. And so I was part of the team. We built HR from the ground up. Um, And what I was most passionate about always in HR was the people side of it. Uh, People development has been a strong suit for me, one that I've nurtured and grown over time. Uh, I've really managed my career by pursuing things that are of interest to me, that I've been good at, and I've been able to blend them together to build a very eclectic skill set, actually that pays off very nicely in the role that I'm in. Um, if you had asked me when I started my career, did I want to be a chief human resource officer, I probably would have told you you were. Interesting. And 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 tell me about about Solix. So what is Solix and what's your role in it? Solix is a business process outsourcing firm. Uh, we manage a lot of large, complex subsidy programs, particularly in the low ha- low income arena. 
Um, we help connect people to services and programs and give them an opportunity to access those things for a better life. So it shows up as uh, utility credit so they can have more food on their table for their families. We help bring technology and broadband into schools and libraries across the U.S. They're either in economically disadvantaged areas or in very rural areas where it's difficult and expensive to bring in. So they apply for funding and our teams review the applications. They look at whether they qualify for the program against the requirements. They get all the funding, some of the funding, or none of the funding. And then we give the decisions back to the organizations that disperse funding. Interesting. And, and what does the role of Chief Human Resource Officer in, in that template entails? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So it's a great role for me. Um, I, I would say we have it has three distinct parts to it. You know, I'm directly embedded working for, for our CEO and with our executive team on our strategic plan for the organization, our growth plan, and then building a human capital plan that aligns with that and helping the organization be prepared for that growth and deliver, continuing to deliver great services to our current customers. Um, I'm also very embedded in the business. I'm a big believer HR is a business enabler, so I don't just focus on what HR has to do. We look at how HR really enables the business. Um, and then I also have relationship with the board. So we have a board of directors. Uh, I have a dotted line in through them, and I work with them on all things related to our strategy, their role, um, succession planning, talent management, Interesting. And uh, one thing that I find I found is fascinating. So uh, in in your journey, when, when you were put from an underwrite, underwriting to development to a business background to an HR role, what are some of the sort of um, struggles or, or some of the opportunities that you find getting into HR and getting used to, if, if you can share? Oh, yeah. I think the unique perspective it gives me and others who have come into HR on a similar path, meaning they didn't only ever work in HR, mm. have been a, on this side of the equation, is when you sit on the other side of the desk, it gives you a very different perspective because I have been the recipient mm. of HR. Mm. And so I understand what it's like. I understand the struggles. Um, I understand the challenges. And now when I sit in the head of HR seat, for me, it's all about how do I service the business? How do I make sure we are prepared to deliver on our strategy? Uh, you know, so for example, when I got here, um, I needed to take a look at my own function because mm -hmm. in a small company, often everybody does a little bit of everything, which was great and worked for them for a number of years. But when you're on a growth plan, that's not scalable. Mm -hmm. I can't uh, add to that in a productive way when we start growing. And the last thing I want to do is be a barrier to growth when we go out and get it. Hmm. Interesting. And um, that's, that's, that's interesting. So now when you, when you put an HR organization where there's no HR as such, 
tell us about that journey like what are what are what are some of the things that that how do you how do you go about starting that and and what are some of the um indicators that a business should see before they say hey hey i need a formal hr like if you, whatever you can share yeah so it's interesting um I, you know, we've heard a, a thousand times it starts at the top, mm. but I, yeah, I really do believe that. So I'm very fortunate to work for a CEO who understands, not only understands, but believes in the value HR can bring to an organization. Mm. Uh, and because of that, we have a terrific relationship. I am very ingrained in the business side of it, and we work together to build that partnership. So, and my team has the same philosophy. So we don't show up as the, the negative stigma you hear about HR, where it's all about policy and know what's your question. We show up in service of the business. And one of the ways we switched that up here at Solix was when I first came in, I spent about six weeks onboarding mm. and I interviewed over 30 leaders in the company asking about the culture, asking about strategy, and asking them how, how HR was doing and were they being serviced in a way that helped them do their job, help their people you know, learn and grow and deliver on the goals we had for them every day. And that was a very uh, informative process and it helped me build a, the right roadmap for HR to be a very strategic component of the business. Interesting. And I think one thing that I found fascinating uh, before I ventured into HR and now knowing, uh, understanding how the HR landscape is, I have so much respect for uh, HR executives and HR professionals because I think we always used to think of HR as, hey, that old school guys, whatever, right? And so, and, and HR has this unique role of, um, I, 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 I say it's preserving and protecting the culture and, and integrating it to the new technology. So working with the oldest thing that that exists in the company and bring the newness as soon as possible and integrating these two totally different world together so what right. what what's your what's your thinking on some of the best practices and one what's your observation on uh, some of those challenges that you see in, in in bringing these two worlds together yeah i think first and foremost if you expect your hr leaders to deliver on what you just described they need to be in that place themselves. So HR, for the sake of HR, will fail. Mm. HR for enabling the business is what brings great success. But in order to do that, HR leaders need to understand what are those technology trends that are happening out in the world? What is that disruptive technology all about? How can we automate? Um, what's that impact on my business, on our market? Uh, on our organization. Is it part of our growth plan or not? And once you do that, then you can have a voice of influence within the business to help them understand that and see where those impacts are and get your organization ready for it. Um, because HR needs to align with that, not be reactive to that. Interesting. And and, and how is... Um... If if you if you wear your executive hat in in the HR space, how do you conform with the fact that um, like getting the new exciting talent coming in and integrating to the to to the old and legacy um, sort of uh, way to way to grow? 
what are some of some of the things that that you you execute and sort of you have seen it functioning in which you can invite this new talent on board and what are some of the things that you could share we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast yeah i mean you know the the multi generational workforce has value in every every part of that spectrum we've got a young entrant workforce coming in uh fresh out of college savvy with technology super smart want to work differently and you can run all the way up the gamut to your baby boomers and traditionalists who aren't retiring as fast as everybody said they were going to because we're living longer they're living healthier and they don't want to stop working they just want to work differently right so how do you find the right mix hmm. to bring the value each generation brings to the table and make it work is really critical for organizations you know i've seen and i've done in my companies um the use of the baby boomer generation as teaching and being mentors for the new uh, entrants coming in <laughs> because they've got the legacy of your institutional knowledge and mm. and needing to transfer that <laughs> excuse me and oftentimes they understand the culture they understand the the marketplace of where you work so there's a lot of benefit to be gained there and we've also used uh, the baby boomers and the more mature workers <clears throat> in a talent play for succession. So you may have somebody inside the organization is not quite ready and who better to teach them than a very senior person who wants to continue working mm. but work differently, work less and let them teach. And we've done reverse mentoring too. Um, in a former company we had our summer interns come in and teach us about what they would look for in purchasing some of our products. because that's the new entrance to the marketplace and we didn't understand that consumer. So we wanted to hear from them what were their behavior patterns around purchasing products. Um what were they looking for in terms of services so we could understand what that market looked like because we didn't have a lot of them inside the company. So I think it works on all ends of the spectrum you have to find the value each of those generations brings and then create an organization that is appealing on all fronts interesting and i think one thing that that, that i find fascinating with hr spaces um uh, having sort of the vantage point of where the industry is heading to like where where the evolution is happening you need to be very closely aligned with sort of where the organization probably will head in next 10 15 years and plan for either the workforce or whatever the trends that are coming in so what are some of the ways um um you fetch uh, or at least gauge the temperature of the market or where where the industry is shaping to what are some of the things that you do um, to help you understand that well i for myself i'm very active uh, i'm a big reader <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so i read a lot of publications and probably the non traditional ones so i read mm-hmm. things like medium disrupt uh only follow a lot of the tech trends and what's happening I'm also very involved in my professional associations around what's happening there. 
and finding the right blend. I'm watching the economic forecast, mm. you know, happening with labor rates and hard to find skill sets and those kind of things. And you have to be able to put those things together and look for how it's uh, going to impact the business. I think one of the things I see a lot in uh, research reports is the gap between CEOs and executives who recognize the value these disruptive technologies can bring mm. to the organization, to the workplace, and yet they don't really know what to do with it. Uh, mm. They don't know how to implement it. They're afraid of the cost and the success rate of doing it. Um, and that's where HR, I think, can play a big part. You know, if we as HR executives understand that, we can be conversant about that. And one of the things HR should be and can be very good at is that whole change effort. Because at the end of the day, that's really what we're talking about. We're going to move from the way we do business today to a different way to get business done. Um, and that's the way the world of work is changing, right? Mm. Um, regular jobs are being disaggregated from jobs to tasks. Mm. And that's what's doing the gig economy because I can take a job disaggregated into 10 tangible tasks that I can put out for bid on Upwork, Elam, TaskRabbit, and get the best uh, person who can do that work for the best price and not have to have a full-time employee. Um, so the, the whole marketplace on how work gets done is changing uh, and what type of employee do you need to get the work done. And that's where that multi-generational workforce can really pay off. Interesting. So I think you're hitting on something very critical that, uh, that's happening nowadays is, is this. So number one is the disruption that's happening around all around us, right? So the transformation that we are seeing. And, and, and I think you raised a very interesting point on uh, the leadership not understanding the value of these sort of rapid changes. And, and it's, it's, it's difficult for all of us to sort of fathom this fact that, hey, most of the things that we are working nowadays has invented has been invented in the last seven years, and they don't have enough test test cycle to say it's stable enough. So as an as an right. HR, it's a, it's a nightmare to see. Okay, my entire company is shifting toward this trend. On the other side is the fear of missing out. That's creeping in as well. That hey, maybe if I I, I, I sit on it to to uh, sort of for for a longer time, I may lose out um, on 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 this trend. So. How do you cope up again uh, uh, between between these two uh, very sort of uh, polar approaches? Well, you know, some of it ends up just being good business decisions, right? Mm. I mean, when you think about automation, mm. that's something our customers are asking us for. So it's not, I'll go back to, it's not an mm. HR play. Mm. We know it as a function is right for automation, as is, you know, other areas, but it's a business opportunity because our customers want automation. Mm. Our customers want better analytics. And many of those things are driven by AI services, digitalization, big data, blockchain is coming. Um, so it's a way for us not only to make our organization more effective, but actually to deliver on what our business, our clients are asking for. So it becomes more of an economic play on how do you create new products and services, how do you be more effective and efficient in delivering those products and services, 
and using this new technology to help you get there. Interesting. And I think the, the other thing that, that you mentioned, which is again very critical um, for us to all think about is the transformation from job to tasks, right? So now we have uh, we have this massive um, and growing gig economy that, that we are all coping up with. So how is how is that impacting the HR itself? Like how is the role of HR whose job is to pretty much onboard someone, train the train the culture in, in so many years and then sort of create this very solid core of, of the business that defines the core competency and run this business now is increasingly rely on this gigified uh, templates. So how is the HR, HR system is changing uh, in itself from your vantage point? Yeah, I guess what we need to start thinking about is what does our workforce look like, hmm. right? And, and, and we have it here. We have an augmented workforce where we use contingent workers because a lot of our work is contract. Hmm. And there's flow and peak periods and seasonality, and we don't always need to have as many full-time uh, as the business needs. So we've been doing that for years, as, as are many other organizations. But when you think about um, the ability to break down a job into tasks, what does that do? And are there opportunities to bring in freelancers, gig workers? Uh, or contract workers that may either augment your full-time capacity or supplement it in some way that gives you a very different composition of the workforce. I think the interesting topic we bounce around a lot is if you think about what the gig economy is shaping up to look like, and you know there's uh, like 44% of people who do it because they have to. Mm. There's a whole Another percentage, you know, 30-something percent who are in the gig economy just for supplemental income. So they've got a full-time job at supplemental income. Um, but the more and more opportunity for people to be, you know, make a living without having to be an employee, right? The number one reason people want full-time employment is for benefits. Mm. So if we a world, and look, this is not a political question, but if we were to really get to a place where healthcare, at least in the U.S., is available for a free price, for a good price with good coverages that I can buy on the open market, why then would I want to be a full-time employee? Mm. And what does what do you even mean in that world mm. if I'm not providing the benefits? So I think that's the big hairy question that's out there. Um, employment law gets in our way a lot of mm. making some of those decisions, how we classify people. Um, we have that today, even with you know Fair Labor Fair Labor Standards Act, is you know the uh, duties test is convoluted, and trying to categorize work and jobs and people makes it difficult. Mm. So if we were some legislative changes and take care of the healthcare situation. I think the gig economy could be a whole different thing. Interesting, interesting. So that's I think that's a very interesting perspective. So um, you also talked about so uh, uh, you are from an outsourcing landscape, right? So uh, business process outsourcing, and outsourcing is also one of the industries that's hit by this transformative times, right? So because of automation, whether you, whatever you call it, so. What's what's your vantage point on what? How is this this gig gig economy, and and so and so forth of uh, automation and, and and technology 
is shaping up the um, uh, the outsourcing industries we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast yeah i think it's a big one right so if you think about what gets outsourced it is typically the routine mundane scripted type of work that they either can't afford to do or don't have the time to do and if you can automate that and push it through now some things you can't so like in the particular business we're in it's more complicated um, and there's decisions and there's outreach and there's different ways in which we interact with clients that's not always right for automation so i don't think it's going to be a hundred percent for sure there will be some percentage though of those types of tasks that type of work that can be automated not just our company but across the industry because it's the nature of the work um, it, but what that does mean, I think this is an important point. There's a lot of hype around AI and automation is going to wipe all these jobs out. Mm. I think the better statement is it will shift the way jobs get done. So it will displace current jobs, but it will also create a whole host of other jobs that we probably don't even understand today. Mm. Um, and what it will do for HR in particular as a function I like to say it this way, HR will be more human than it's ever been. Mm. Because when you have all those things, what's left are things like critical thinking, strategic thinking, empathy, culture, strategy. Those are not machine. Mm. Those are very specific human capabilities that machines won't do, at least in my lifetime. Mm. <laughs> Maybe you but not mine. So the jobs will shift and the mm. skills will shift and we need to be thinking about how we will reskill people, how we will move people along that continuum to do different types of work that we need to have done and how do we lead in that environment. When you come into work, and I don't think it's that far off, where chatbot is the biggest AI out there, right? Chatbots are everywhere, retail, mm. hospitality, um, healthcare, chatbots are everywhere. But it's not unrealistic to say you could come into the office one day mm. and as you load up your computer in the morning, your little personal assistant chatbot is right next to you. Mm. And they're doing your Monday tasks like scheduling your appointments and you know, think about Alexa in the office, right? Mm. So then what becomes your job? Your your day-to-day -day job will shift and our ability to work side by side and collaborate human and machine is going to be a big thrust in the near future. I'll give you a quick example. Um, and I think this is also part of HR's uh, kind of hesitancy around AI. So when my last semester, spring semester at NYU, I taught a course called The Future of HR Around Innovation. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of where uh, my platform for speaking on this topic has come from. But in that course, I created a case project for my students around a fictitious HR consulting company called HR Gig Work. 
And their assignment was to create an AI chatbot to automate an HR service. So they had to pick an HR service and figure out how to create this chatbot to automate it. So in six weeks, these students who never touched an AI service or platform ever were able to build functional chatbots wow. and make them in their case project. So we had Benny the bot who answered all of your benefits questions. So if anybody who works in HR and benefits know how crazy you can get with employee phone mm. calls all day long, Benny the bot would take care of that. They built OnBuddy, who was your new employee concierge. Where do you find things? Who do you talk to? Um, how to make your way around the building? All those fun kind of things. Again, things that just suck up time, but give a little personal touch. And then we had Minerva, who was your career bot. So maybe you want to be a manager, maybe you want to be a subject matter expert, and they would help and guide you on which courses you should take based on that decision. So we were looking for venture capitalists when we were done. Um, but I think it's impressive that a group of students who knew nothing about AI could create a chatbot to automate an HR service in six weeks and make it work. That is pretty cool. That that's pretty awesome. So um, one thing I was I, I I think I was thinking of a conversation I had with one of the I think it's he was from Amnesty International, one of the lawyers there. And and he was talking about he was working towards from the robots rights side of the story, so he, so he was talking about hey just like human rights we need to have a robots right and what and what and what not. So do you think do you think from your vantage point there would be uh, and actually I had this conversation with a bunch of HR executives that hey maybe we will shape into something called a work resource instead of human resource. So we HR would take care of these AI and and this machine capable robots as part of the workforce in delivering an outcome. So what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I really do. I think there's opportunity. And so, you know, I'll date myself a little bit, but hmm. um, probably early 90s, we had a robot who delivered the mail. And it was a robot with a mail cart that was programmed to go around the entire building with mail. So, and that was 20 plus mm. years ago. Mm. So it's, it's already there. I think what's happening is big data is fueling HR uh, in a very different way. So if you look at the functions within HR, like recruiting is one of the most transactional, manual type processes we have in the HR function. And so the opportunity for automation through AI or being able to use robotics in some way, I think it's really uh, valid and is coming. Uh, I think the biggest barrier to capitalizing on that stuff, honestly, is ourselves. Hmm. You know, if we're tuned to what opportunities it brings for us, what it brings for our business, or brings actually for, you know, your customers in space. Um, and we have to embrace it. Interesting, and I think one more trend that um, that I was thinking of. So I was I, I spoke to a lot of uh, Fortune hundreds, um, either chief learning officers or chief HR officers, uh, and I think one of the guy uh, he put up the best. So he was he told that um, his company 
is shrinking the core of so what they call as a core of the business workforce has been shrinking for last uh, i think he was telling me like 15 years and almost every company in the vertical that is say a lot of my friends have the same trend that almost every every company is vertical is shrinking and his point was that hey if the if your core sh- is shrinking that means the hr is also shrinking with it so so what is so what is your thoughts on the future of hr so would would there be a future in which we don't we won't be needing an hr it would be a software or or what do you think as uh, your your perception yeah no that's a great question there's a lot of speculation around that um, i honestly think it's an exciting time to be in hr as a professional um, i love the opportunity to think about what can be in the future hmm. what it means for uh, the world of work and how that's changing and how HR could be a part of it. I, I do believe HR will be more human than it's ever been. You know, there's been a mantra for a long time, put the human back in HR. Well, that's it. Because all of those other things will go away. If you think about one of the recent um, white papers I was reading on the ability of AI to analyze all of the comments out of employee engagement surveys, right? So that's the richest part of everything we do in a, in a survey is the comments. Hmm. And anybody who through that and spent hours, weeks, months, content coding hmm. <laughs> comments from the survey knows the pain of that. How cool will it be though if you can have an AI platform that does that for you and gives you those rich insights that you can then act on that's the power of HR. Power of HR is not in the context. The value we bring is in what do you do with those insights? How do you engage employees to really want to be with your organization and not spend your time doing all the other, you know, tactical things that don't matter as much? So I think the, the opportunity for HR to be an even more valuable business enabling function is right at our doorstep and we have to capitalize on these new disruptive technologies that can help us get there and carve away the stuff that's not as meaningful and give us the chance to really demonstrate what the value of hr is interesting and actually so uh, that reminds me of a conversation i i had with uh, one of the hr executive and he was telling me that we shall at one point uh, 20 30 years back hr used to be your friend so HR used to be a, a human's representation in, in, in a business. And, and his point of view was, hey, as sort of um, uh, somehow the HR lost, lost, its, lost its meaning and it became sort of a business representation to get the, the humans to work, to deliver an outcome. So and, and, and I think one of the hopeful things that I heard was that now with, with AI and all, we actually are sort of now getting into the area where we need to actually work with humans more to get them to work and deliver an outcome. So we are getting there. But so so what what has been your observation uh, from your vantage point? Yeah, and that's the way I like to describe it is HR is about optimizing your business performance at the intersection of strategy and talent. And you need both. Hmm. You can't, your best business strategy is only going to go so far without the right talent hmm. to get you. And those two things have to work in concert. And I do think that that's kind of the promise of AI is to allow us to do that. But I do think that's right. I think HR 
has swung the pendulum in a bunch of different ways. You know, we went from being personnel and warm and fuzzy, and to me, that's always been a social services view, because mm. that's what you do, go work in social services. But you can't swing too far the other way, because if you're all about business, and that's your only avenue, that's your only pension, then you become a cutthroat, non-caring organization, and that's not where anybody wants to work, right? You have to find the, the marriage between those two things. Interesting. So, if... If I'm an HR executive of 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 of, of a firm, um, what would what should I um, ensure that I or my my team knows or delivers so that I make my company future proof if that if that's even possible? So what what some of the things that you could suggest uh, this up and coming rising leaders to sort of do and perform to to make sure that that their companies at at the top of their game. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things you need to be paying attention to. One is what's happening in the new world of work, mm. right? So work not where you go, it's what you do. Mm. Work is not who you work for, it's who you work with. So the nature of our organizations need to change. We're more collaborative. We need to be more innovative. We need to have, you know, work is done in social networks. You know, there's organizational network analysis to figure out who is that person in your company that everybody goes to to ask their questions. That's the type of environment we need to foster because that's the way work gets done. We have to get out of these old mental models of hierarchical structures mm. and policies and procedures. You know, multi-year projects don't exist anymore. Mm. We need to, we have to manage to the flow of business and be you know, adaptable and flexible. Um, the other piece of it is we have to be focused on what makes the business successful. Because at the end of the day, if your business is successful, everyone will be successful, have opportunity, we'll be learning and growing, we'll be contributing, we'll be doing mean, meaningful work. Um, so we have to really focus on doing that in a productive way. And then the last thing is you have to have the courage and the conviction to lead through the change because it's not easy. And oftentimes we get stuck in our own ways, we get stuck in our mental models, or, oh yeah, that's not gonna happen. You know, oh, you get a lot of people who are of the mindset lay low long enough that two shall pass. Fads <laughs> mm. um, come and go. Um, but I think this one is here. And this one's going to stick, and we're seeing more and more of it. Interesting. So I think you again. I think you are hitting on a very critical area again, uh, which is which is I, I I do appreciate you going in this. So I think one thing that that I recall from one of the uh, company here in Boston, one of their executive. I was talking to um, that company's executive, and he was telling me, "Vishal, you know what? This is how we do things. This is how we this is how we work." And I was and 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 told me that. So I was I was telling him about a, a competitor who is doing something better, and, and and so he said, "Yeah, I know, but like we are old school. We are just so I think and and that thought instantly hit me really hard that that's how they are going out of business. Maybe that's how that's the right. businesses are struggling, right? And and if if your culture is so strong that even sort of the people who are bearing that culture, or at least who are ensuring." they can't even to move that culture and then now we're going in this in this new landscape which requires some tweaking 
So what are some of the things you would suggest to like those executives who understand the struggle or the importance of culture and the thickness of it? And at the same time, they are struggling to get at least the meaningful changes in, within the corporations. Yeah, I think that's that strategic voice of influence that you have to learn how to develop. Um, and trust me, I've, I've worked in organizations and been part of that where, uh, you know, one company I worked for, we watched the world of technology change around us. Hmm. We did all kinds of research and efforts around how we would expand our business mix and portfolio. And at the end of the day, the decision was, you know, we're technology, we'll always be technology, we're the best in technology. And three years later, we were for sale because we missed the market. And so I know firsthand how dangerous that mindset can be. And I work really hard at um, informing you know, educating our executives about what's happening, uh, giving them good information about what the marketplace looks like and things we should consider. You know, at the end of the day, it's about creating the conditions for change. It's not so much pushing a change. Where I've seen a lot of HR leaders fail is, one, they try and make it an HR thing. Okay, if it becomes an HR thing, you're done. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to work has to be a business imperative and it has to be led by the business. HR facilitates and can lead the way, but it has to be with the business. The second way it fails is when you try and push your agenda. If you're pushing an agenda and it's not the business agenda, you're gonna fail. Mm. And so I like to think of it as creating the conditions for change so that people are educated and informed and we can make good decisions about the path that we want to be on, not because somebody has an agenda. Interesting. And um, one more thing I was thinking about is, I think you, you talked about so the technology. So HR um, is always has, has been people heavy. And, and, and obviously, so technology, uh, use of technology is not like you can, you can put in the same sentence many times in HR. So, and, and right now, HR's role is increasingly depending, uh, dependent on this sort of gigified workforce that, is, that are emerging as one of their core trends or, or at least remote work environments on sort of changing landscape of performance, optimization. And like everything is now sorted so data driven now nowadays. And the tech inception is a bit not as like as spacey as it should be in getting into HR domain. So what, what do you think about that? How could sort of, if I'm an HR executive, how would I look at technology as, 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 my, uh, as my mojo? And, and, and obviously it's, if it's not in the culture, like what are some of the things that you would suggest I could do to, to sort of be more open towards it, if at all? Yeah, you know, if it's technology for technology's sake, it is barking up the wrong tree. Hmm. Technology that enables better decisions Technology that um, provides more effective and efficient operations, technology that gives you better insight, are all the right reasons, and they should be tied to your business results, right? Everything we do in HR is mm. about helping business perform. So what are you using that technology for? What's that purpose? And making sure that it really is served 
the company well and our employees well um, is the right way to go about it. If we're just looking at it because we think it's a great human capital platform, that's nice, but it's going to cost you a whole lot of money and may not be the right thing to do. You have to really look at the purpose of what you're doing it for and what you're going to use it for and what is the outcome. You know, I like to always say one of my favorite questions is, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Mm. If we know what the business problem is we're trying to solve, then you can just be wasting a whole lot of time and money. Um, but also for HR leaders, we have to embrace the technology. And a lot of HR leaders are not there yet. And that's part of this resistance to the whole disruptive world with AI and other things because they don't understand it, they're not comfortable with it, and don't, don't frankly know how to use it. So the more resistant you are to it, the more left behind your function will Interesting. And, and, and what are the tenets of an organization where it's future-proof? Like, so if, what are some of the, some of, some of the tenets that, that you think an organization, if I possess that, I will exist probably for a few more years than, was, than, than otherwise. The ones who are adaptable, nimble, mm. and can embrace the technology will do well. The ones who get stuck in their old ways and want to put their head in the sand and say, yeah, that's not going to happen, are going to miss it or get run over. Interesting. And, and, um, where do you see so from your vantage point where do you see future of future of workplace future of office right so in in this in this uh, transformation what are some of the trends that you are seeing about how it's shaping the way we work and we i think you raise a very interesting point that it's it's not the place that work is not where you come to do some things but it's what you do so what what's your thought on that yeah i mean so look at what's happening right starbucks is the new office Right. My husband and I went for coffee the other night, and there was a woman sitting at a table with a couple. She looked like a wedding planner. She had her invitation book. They were sitting there over coffee. They're picking out their wedding stuff. Okay, no overhead for her. Mm. She's sitting outside on the Starbucks table conducting her business. This is the way the world is working. Um, you know, we're and we've it's been a cliche for a long time, but the fact is we are so connected and so global and so integrated with technology that it is it has and will continue to change the way work is done where work is done you can find talent anywhere across the globe for almost anything that you need and so when you think about the access to talent and the work they can do for you and it doesn't matter where they are it really does change the game. Um, it also changes kind of the structure, if you will, of our normal work environment. So the nine to five mm -hmm. sitting in an office does, is not going to be around much longer. You know, I have three millennial children who tell me, we can't wait till your, your generation retires. Go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a lot of boomers who are trying to fit them into that model. And you know what the truth is? They're more productive, they mm. get things done faster, and they might do it in a different way than we're accustomed to, but they're doing it better. So we have to allow for that. 
Right. The other thing that I think has a huge impact on the work environment is the, the different perspective about careers, right? Um, there's too many organizations stuck in old mental models of what a resume should look like. Mm. So people who move every two or three years are not necessarily viewed positively. Well, guess what? People are changing jobs every three to five years. I change jobs every five years, and I'm not a millennial, but I'm mm. almost five years. Um, organizations that banish people when they leave an organization because they're not so-called loyal and lose talented people, well, you're only hurting yourself. Because mm. if you like them and they like you, but they just want a different opportunity, why would you not want them back? If they go to another organization and have the experience they're looking for and want to come back to your company because they liked it better, mm. why would you not want them? You know, we call them boomerangs, and the research on retention of boomerangs is twice mm. the rate of regular employees because they went somewhere else, tried it out, but they like your company better. So we have to get past this old thinking around mm. once they well, they're not, and they may come back. Um, the fact is, people are living longer, working longer, and they're going to change jobs probably 12 to 14 times. They're going to change career professions mm. at least twice. I've already done that. Mm. I was in I was in information technology. I'm in human resources. Three completely different professions. These the workforce today is much better at blending their skills to leverage their next opportunity and make a move. Interesting. And they're more... Sorry, sorry. I'm, yeah. That's okay. So I have a book coming out <laughs> uh, probably the next two weeks called Careers in the New World of Work. And it's really all about this. It's about how individuals can make the best use of careers and how careers have changed for them, and what organizations need to do to not lose valuable talent, but think about talent very differently. Interesting. And, and um, from your vantage point, um, what are some of the opportunities uh, that exist uh, when it comes to future of work or future of jobs um, for HR executive or HR space? So if, if I want to see, if I'm looking for opportunities to explore uh, uh, make something better in that in that HR space. What are some of the opportunities that you're seeing that I should uh, that I could invest my my time into? For I'm sorry, I didn't sure I understood the question. So so in 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 HR space, what are the op some of the opportunities that you are seeing worth fixing? For for building that future of work. Uh, so I think the biggest impact is going to be on designing the organization for the future of work. Um, so more agile teams, mm. more social networks greater flexibility in where and how work gets done, looking at your culture, because, uh, you know, when the internet gave voice to opinion, the employee experience was born. Mm. You have left. You have uh, several other platforms that give employees an opportunity to be vocal about your organization and their experience there. So really, for HR to be prepared for that future of work, we have to look at how we're designing organizations for the future of work. That's going to be the biggest impact. Interesting. 
um so uh, with that we're coming to the tail end of the conversation and and uh, thank you marin for for walking us through your your hr journey so let's spend some time in it on, on your journey as such so in 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 your experience so far like what are some of the um some of the tenets of your success or some of the some of the qualities that you attribute to whatever you have achieved so far um if that you can share with us yeah um things that help make you a successful leader yes um i think there's a couple of key things one is as individuals we have to keep learning and growing you know i mentioned to you i change jobs about every five years and that's right and i did that in pursuit of challenging work new opportunities meaningful work and a way to build my skills and expand my knowledge. And I think that's a big play, even as you move into senior positions, you can't lose sight of doing that. You also, so building your capabilities is one. The second one is learning how to increase your capacity. So as you move up in rank, you're gonna, be, you're gonna need mm -hmm. to take more on. In order to learn new things and build capabilities, you have to have the bandwidth to do new and different things. Um, and so being able to take on more, add more value, do more meaningful work is an important piece. And the third one is having an expanded community. And, you know, some things change and some things don't. And one thing that's never changed is it's all about who you know. And as you move up in your career, having a network of, of resourceful people you can tap into for best practices, next practices, for expertise you don't have and may never have. Uh, we shouldn't expect to be the know-it-all of everything, but have a, a network you can tap into that you can find new things, learn new things. I like to surround myself with really smart people who know more than I do. Mm. So I can learn from them. Um, and I'm also a big pay it forward person. I really believe in helping each other. And so, you know, I do a lot of uh, in transition career coaching, trying to help people figure out their next opportunity, either because they want to or because they have to. Mm. Um, but, you know, helping people find their way through a career, through an organization, different things like that. Interesting. I also, yeah. the last thing I would say about that, particularly as you move up into uh, executive ranks and leadership roles, is you have to have the courage, mm -hmm. I call it, to walk off. So, you know, there are times when you get tested on your conviction and what's right and what's not. And being willing to take a stand and fight the good fight is really important. Interesting. And I think w one thing I want your perspective on, um, again, I found fascinating in your background is, so having a having a sort of a leadership role in HR in itself, a very, very sort of stressful role, and now having uh, some coaching commitment as well. Like, how do you cope up between the two? Like, what, what's the, what's the um, motivation behind sort of, uh, getting getting in, involved in in both of these directions. So I am the the cliche that gets overused, but the truth of it is, when you love what you do, it's not work. And you know, my team jokes with me all the time. <laughs> do I have to sleep? Um, but the truth is, I just love what I do, mm -hmm. and 
that is teaching at NYU or being here at Solix and leading teams and helping the organization or speaking at industry conferences, I'm very passionate about my profession. I'm passionate about helping other people learn and grow. What I really love to see is when people are reaching their fullest potential, when people are, you know, making progress and uh, learning and growing and challenging the status quo and advancing the HR profession. That's what keeps me going. I just, I don't think of it as work. I don't think about it as, you know, wearing out. I just love it. <laughs> Fascinating. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. So um, one more thing I, I, I want your perspective on is some of the, so we ask all of our guests to to share their favorite reads, the, the books that they read and which they can share with our listeners and viewers that has really helped them understand or that pretty much define them. So are, are there any books that you want to share to our, our listeners and viewers? Yeah, so uh, I'd say one of the defining ones uh, career-wise that was impactful on me uh, a, a number of years ago was Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Uh, and it's all about the things you've done to be mm. successful, but maybe not enough to keep going on your success. And so what do you need to do differently? That was an impactful book. And interestingly, the book I'm reading right now is called How Women Rise, mm. which is a next part to that uh, and it's co-authored between Marshall and Sally Halgren, I think her name is. Um, and so it takes that what got you here won't get you there idea, and it's specific to women. Mm. But the other thing I would share with you is there's a source of books that I like uh, called 800 CEOV, uh, and it's a it's Put out by the Gallup organization, and what I like about it is they publish that um, mm. new hit, and they're they're pretty much on the forefront of books that are emerging. So oftentimes I'll see them on that list before they before you hear about them somewhere else. So I like to um, pick from that list as well, and I get that on a like a weekly basis. Interesting, interesting. That that's fascinating, and thank you so much for sharing your read. So, we um, almost last but not the least, um, I want to understand your, so if you want the listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, or what would that be? So what would your, what would be your closing remark for anyone listening and viewing this podcast? I think, you know, what I would love somebody to walk away from this conversation with is don't be afraid of the change. Get involved. Find out what's going on in the new world of work. Embrace the new world that's coming because it's sure you're not going to get away from it. Um, and the best thing you can do is figure it out and learn what you need to do for yourself as a leader and what's the best thing you can do for your business to help them be successful. And put those two things together so that you have the best chance for sustainable success over time. Beautiful. With that, uh, thank you so much, Marianne, for being extremely generous with your time and, 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 and candidly sort of walking us through understanding the HR landscape, helping us understand the future of work. And by the way, you're always welcome back on the podcast. We are looking forward to your book launch. So love to have you back. Talk about that book. I'd uh, love to sort of uh, get you back and understand 
the perspective and the meaty stuff in that book so that folks could yeah. could have a, have their hands on it so wish you nothing but success there and thank you so much great thank you vishal it's nice to be with you today yeah, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain